going to invite you to keep those Bibles open to Philippians 3. So if we can follow along, I'm going to, most of the sermon will follow from that Philippians passage. And we'll revisit some of these verses as we go through. And I want to begin by revisiting verses 7 and 8 as we start. But if you're, uh, if you're following along and you use that orange pew Bible, uh, it's on page 103, as Bruce said. Um, and if you don't have a Bible, take that one with you. We value the Word of God and we think you should have a physical copy of the Bible. So that is yours if you want that. Or if you know somebody who needs one, take it with you and hand it off to someone else. Let's uh, look back at verses 7 and 8 as we begin. Paul writes, Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them, let's say this word together, garbage. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Here in Philippians, Paul begins by speaking of gain and loss, and he's very playful in his language of using gain and loss. He's playing around with what is gain and what is loss. The dividing line that Paul has here. Uh, is to take hold of Jesus Christ for that which is gain versus loss. But, but at first, when Paul is doing this, it, he makes it seem as though he has lost something by following Christ. He quickly makes it known that what he has lost is actually garbage. It's anything that was not uh, of God. Anything he used to consider gain that was not God-honoring he says, the word we all said together, it is garbage. It's a stronger word than that, though. That which is not God-honoring is dumb, he says. It's poo. It's refuse. It's strong language that Paul uses. As I said, he's being playful here with his language. But he's also being very serious as he proceeds forward. Paul says he used to have zeal were things that were against Jesus Christ and his church. He persecuted Jesus Christ and his church. He talks about that just a little before this passage. And he tells us he was wrong. He was absolutely wrong for doing that. That way is lost so that he can gain the things of Christ. But the passage is a little more specific than simply that's where the loss happened and this is where the gain happened. When we go to verse 10, Paul says, I want to know Christ. He wants to know the power of the resurrection. He wants participation in the sufferings, becoming like him as his death, and thus attaining to the resurrection of the dead. And when you put this all together, what Paul is saying, of, of what he wants to know in Christ, and the gain and the loss uh, that he had, before and after, it turns out that the thrust of the passage is not so much that Paul is speaking of what was before Christ is lost and what was now in Christ is gained. That's certainly there. He's not simply speaking of the days of persecution and of not persecution now. Paul's a little more specific here. He's saying that he's speaking as a current follower of Jesus. He's speaking very specifically as a current follower of Jesus that who he was yesterday should be different than who he is today, and there's got to be a constant loss and gain for those who follow Christ. What yesterday in Paul, as the one who follows Christ, that did not honor God was dumb, was refuse. 
and it should be different today, now. That's the game and the loss that Paul's really pushing towards in this passage, and that's the, there's a word that we could use for that, to become more like Christ that Paul's talking about, let's just use the word maturity. And that's the point I want to make today. Our point today is this gain and loss, this maturity piece, and that if I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, I should be different and more like Jesus tomorrow than I am today. That's what Paul means by gain and loss. Each and every day I should be more like Jesus Christ, not simply before I knew Christ and after now that I'm in Christ. But as I walk with Christ, there is a constant and continual change to be more like Christ. And of course, if we're talking about change, we have to recognize that that comes with a challenge. That always challenges how we are now. And so I want to bring for you two challenges that we should consider this morning as we walk forward through this text. The first is, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ today, then I want to give you that invitation uh, through, at, at the end of this message. I want to invite you to life in Jesus Christ. That's the gain and the loss that Paul is talking about, of course. Maybe you didn't come in thinking that this was a day for that decision, but I want to invite you to that decision. If you, the second challenge I want to give is if you already follow Jesus Christ, then you should be equally challenged today. This sermon is for everybody in the room. That you need to be challenged to be confronted with the need for change to be more like Jesus on a continual basis. And we have to consciously ask ourselves that question of what needs to change so that we can be more like Christ tomorrow than we were today. And I talk to a lot of people about their faith in Jesus Christ. That's the joy I get in the job I have. And as I talk to people, I find people all across the spectrum on where they fall with their faith in Jesus Christ. Some people are, are want to change constantly. They want this game. And they want to put away the things that aren't like Christ. And they're, they're so devoted to it that they're almost too hard on themselves. They need a little more grace on themselves as they do that. They want to be different. And then there's the complete other end of the spectrum. I talk to people uh, on a regular basis who are way too complacent and need to wake up. And whether you need more grace this morning or you're asleep at the wheel, we all need change. We all need change to become more like Christ. Change is required to gain Christ-likeness. Christ-likeness is the goal of the life of a disciple of someone who follows Jesus. But Paul would make it stronger. He would say anything that's not following Jesus and moving into that Christ likeness is what? Garbage. It's not real life. That's where we're going today. But as we proceed, we've been doing this whole series looking at the issue of emotional maturity. And so we're going to do it through that lens. We can do it a number of different ways to look at life in Christ and gain and loss that comes with that looks like. But we're going to specifically do it through that lens of emotional maturity. By doing that, what it means is that we're asking the question, if I am mature in Christ, how do I interact with other people based on that maturity? That's where that goes. And answering that question, of course, hits multiple overlapping areas of spiritual and social and emotional uh, maturity. So let's begin as we kind of consider what this would look like to follow Jesus Christ, gaining for Christ, and gaining in Christ's likeness in our interaction with others, we're going to start with a little scenario, completely fictitious workplace scenario. So we begin with our character, Gina. Gina works in marketing. 
And one day, at Gina's office, her coworker Jeff, brings in a leftover quiche and puts it in the fridge in the morning to enjoy at lunch. By the time lunch comes around, the quiche is gone. Now, all indications in Jeff's mind point to the fact that the evidence sits near Gina's desk that she ate the quiche. Gina did not eat the quiche. We know that because I wrote the story. So she denies it. Jeff confronts Gina in this moment. And in this moment, uh, a base Belgian can say, I didn't do it, but then she backs away sheepishly as Jeff confronts her about the matter. And in the confrontation, Gina is angry and embarrassed and frustrated but silent as she backs away, not sure what to do in the moment. When Jeff finishes the confrontation and walks away, Gina then composes herself, proceeds to walk to HR to report the incident, um, and HR says, you should compose yourself and go talk to Jeff. That's the next step you should take and have a, a cordial conversation with him and tell him what happened. Gina then walks away from HR, disappointed, goes to her desk, sits down on her work computer and starts looking for another job. She believes HR was not looking out for her needs. And as a Christian, she feels that uh, confrontation is not very Christ-like, so she doesn't want to pursue that. So in this scenario, let's just point out a couple things. Jeff was wrong in his assessment of the situation. Let's also point out that complicated as it is, Gina was not quite right in everything either, in her assessment of how she handled it. It's complicated. There was injustice there, but she wasn't exactly emotionally mature in how she handled all of it. We'll focus on Gina for this uh, incident. Gina was not able to speak the truth in the moment. When she was confronted, and notice, I didn't tell you what the confrontation looked like. We have no idea if Jeff was cordial or not cordial. I left it up to her imagination, so I'm curious to know where he took it. But she was concerned about disturbing the peace as part of her concern, but she was really looking for someone else to take care of her problems when things didn't go the way she wanted, or the way it could have gone when she didn't confront the truth. She was unable to manage the stress and emotion of the confrontation, and she was unable to speak the truth from the time it was needed. Because it turns out confrontation can be Christ-like. Jesus did it all the time. He just did it in a Christ-like manner. <laughs> These are all, I know it's a complicated situation, so we can discuss it for a long time, but the basic points that we're making about how it was handled are points of emotional immaturity. That is to say, if we were uh, to look at emotional levels, this, these specific points would be on the emotional level, not of an adult, but more of a child. I'm not saying Gina's a child, and I'm not saying that we're, if we can operate at various levels of emotional maturity and have some places where we are adults and some places where, frankly, we're not when we encounter situations. So if we look specifically, you can see some of these on the screen, I think, uh, you will see that if you're looking for other people to take care of your needs, if you're afraid to discuss the truth, or your needs in a calm and mature way you're not able to, uh, or if you have the inability to recognize and manage your thoughts and feelings in the moments of trial, those can be indications that of emotional immature. Some of these things might be difficult to work through, but living this way is not the gain of Christ that Paul's talking about and how we're supposed to function with others. Let's imagine a second scenario now. Now we're in a church example. It is a real example, but it's not this church. 
So let's imagine this scenario where a church member named Sharon comes up to the associate pastor one day, and she hands the associate pastor a book. Uh, it's a book on the, uh, the storehouse principle, which is a uh, kind of about a church savings account and an opportunity fund. Uh, it's a biblically-based book, uh, but only on one or two verses. And uh, she comes up, she comes up to the, uh, the associate pastor, and pretty much the only thing she says is, we read this book in our family. I thought you would enjoy this book. When you finish reading it, maybe you could hand it on to the senior pastor. He might be interested in reading it too. End of conversation. Then uh, the associate pastor reads it. It's good. It's simple. It's 70 pages too long. The associate pastor hands it on to the senior pastor. Who reads it? They both look at each other and say, interesting, and move on about their day. About two months later, Sharon and her family and a few others in the church write an email at 11 o'clock on a Saturday night indicating they're leaving the church because they believe that the pastors and the leadership have been mismanaging the funds of the church, believe that they've expressed their concerns numerous times and to numerous people in leadership and pastor ministry, and thus they're leaving. The leadership and the pastors confer and discuss how many conversations did we have with these people about finances, realizing that they had none, except there was one incident where the associate pastor was handed a book in passing that you should read this book on the church savings account. So here we have a case where it's fully appropriate for someone to flag the potential of concerns with leadership and the potential of financial issues within the church. Absolutely. That's how we should handle things, right, church? We should talk to one another. That's how we do it. It's fully appropriate to flag your concerns, but the manner in which Shannon and her family did it was, shall we say, insufficient, maybe even emotionally immature. Not only did this family fail to communicate well in this instance, what, when they didn't get their way, they communicated in a manner that was going to be hurtful, actually. Recognizing that the pastor would check his email on Sunday morning, as they knew that was a pattern in this particular case, sending an 11 p.m. email on a Saturday night that would be opened by the pastor on Sunday morning. Let me just point out, even in the best of circumstances, if somebody leaves the church for a job change or something, that's painful to pastors. We hate it. It hurts. So it's when it's in the worst of circumstances, it hurts worse. And when you send an 11 o'clock email the night before with other families, that's sticking the knife and twisting it. That's painful. It's mean spirited. See, if we claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, we're going to bear good fruit. And one of the telling ways we bear good fruit is in how we deal with one another in our relationships. In work situations, church situations, family life, and bank, wherever we deal with other people. We're going to bear good fruit in our interactions with others. And anytime we interact with people, we are thrust into situations that require both our logical and our emotional parts of us, they're intertwined, to come together. And when we approach those situations like Jesus Christ, we gain. When we approach them the opposite, we lose. <clears throat> so Paul speaks of gain and loss in our text. He's speaking of stuff like this. In our text, Paul seems to be talking about something that we do when he talks about that. But Paul continues on, and the language changes a little bit. Uh, he gets a little more precise as he goes on. If you go to verse 10, 
speaking of gain and loss, Paul says, uh, I want to know Christ, yes, the power of his resurrection, and what? And participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. This is crucial to becoming a mature disciple of Jesus Christ, a mature follower of Jesus Christ, is to recognize that suffering of Jesus Christ, peace, that if we follow Jesus Christ, life is still going to throw challenges at us. I mean, if you're living, there are going to be trials, right? right? Any amens in the house on that? It's hard to live life some days. Trials just come. That's life. Trials are going to come even if you follow Jesus Christ. But we need maturity to deal with them. Paul pushes this further when he's saying this in verse 10. He pushes us to solidarity with Christ in his suffering. Paul says we don't simply suffer, and then Jesus somehow tells us how to unsuffer. We don't just suffer, and Jesus gives us a divine Tylenol pill, and we can poof, it goes away. No. We enter into, we participate with Jesus in his suffering. That's a hard word. Just as Jesus entered into the world, God in the human body to enter into our suffering, so we enter into his suffering, which he did on our behalf. We don't enter into difficult situations alone, thanks be to God, because of that. We enter into them with Jesus, becoming like Jesus through those difficult moments. We are shaped and we are formed by our most difficult events. And we shouldn't ask for difficulty on purpose. Nobody should do that. That's not worth it. It'll come anyways. But, brothers and sisters, we shouldn't squander difficult moments when they come. That's not gain. That's loss. And so we have solidarity with Christ in his suffering as his followers. But Paul keeps pushing forward. In verse 12, he makes a point that we shouldn't miss at all. He says, not that I've already obtained all this. Or I've already arrived at my goal. And it's funny because Paul's using this sort of vague language that points to this and it. This end goal is what he's talking about. It's, it's vague on purpose, pointing that way on purpose. Not that I've already obtained all this, or I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus did what? Took hold of me. Paul's talking about what we lose and gain in Christ, our effort towards the surpassing worth of Jesus, but now he tells us that we didn't simply grab hold of Jesus, Jesus was already grabbing hold of us. And he leads us to a key point. That vague language that he's talking about here, of it and what is to come, pressing on towards what? The goal. He's telling us there is a goal. He's telling us there is an end result for this life, and what we do in this life is more at stake than just now. There is what's to come, too. And for this reason, who I am today should not be who I am tomorrow if I follow Jesus. I'm challenged each day to be more like Jesus, forgetting what is behind, Paul says, and straining towards what is ahead. Why? Because there's an end result that God has in mind. The end result is strong language in the passage. It doesn't come out in the English very well. In the original Greek, it comes out very strong. It's this word telos, or teleos is the more specific word used, form of it used here. Talking about the goal, that is, to be complete in our Christ-likeness. That's what God has in store for us. Perfection is the fancy word we can use for it. God's goal is that in mind. We would be like Jesus. That is his specific plan. The expectation, the end, is not that you arrive simply by living. We're all doing that. 
is that you are arriving by losing what is not like Christ and gaining what is. And the end result is that what God has in store for you will not come about because you are asleep, but because you are awake. It will not, it comes through challenges at the office of church at home, but it is won through the suffering of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. It is won when we suffer with Jesus Christ and he begins that resurrection in us. It will be completed at the end, but the process begins once we begin following Jesus Christ and he takes hold of us. And so Paul pushes forward, 13 and 14. Brothers and sisters, he says, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what's ahead, I press on towards what? The goal. To win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. The, uh, can ask the a little further to the what question when we're talking about emotional maturity and what that looks like. Gain and loss, but I came across this nice uh, headline from the Babylon Bee, the satirical site this week that says, Man shows sacrificial Christ-like love for wife by throwing socks in general direction of laundry basket. <laughs> Which I feel like it's written about, uh, based on a true story. <laughs> But more seriously, what does it practically look like to have these human interactions like this? <clears throat> well, what does it mean to gain and lose for Christ when it comes to the everyday situations that we run into all the time? What does it practically, practically look like to strain toward what is ahead when you encounter emotionally charged situations? When you encounter trials? When you've got to negotiate how to navigate challenges with friends or raise your kids or whatever it is and there are difficult interpersonal moments. I'll give you a list of some emotionally healthy responses that we can have which I think are indeed Christ-like. I think you find them both in Jesus' interactions in the Gospels and also Paul talks about them. I think you'll see that they point back to where we are. Pete Scazzaro uh, lists these out nicely in Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. They're worth our time to consider. So an emotionally healthy adult. Our list should come up here. Is able to articulate their needs directly. That is to say, we don't have high school or middle school like uh, communication where we tell a friend to tell a friend something or pass an anonymous note or any of those kinds of things. We don't live in passive aggressive behavior and manipulative behavior. We say our needs directly. Jesus does model this quite well. Paul does too. If we're emotionally healthy, we recognize and take responsibility for our own thoughts and feelings. I know I've referenced in this sermon series a couple times that uh, in my own life I had to recognize that um, I was like most men. If there's anger, there's not anger, are my two emotions. And to build that vocabulary is to recognize more of what's going on inside of me and, and know how to deal with that better. But furthermore, and this might affect, afflict some of you as well, it's afflicted me at times, and it still does if I'm not careful, is that whether you recognize the emotional vocabulary or not, some of us are such peace-loving people and peacekeeping people instead of peacemaking people that we take all those emotions, we stuff them in, let them hang out, and keep stuffing them in, and keep stuffing them in, and keep stuffing them in. Eventually, that will come out. 
right? And eventually, if you do that with one person in particular, if you just have one person who keeps like a, a spouse or a good friend who keeps not dealing with the issues, and you have eight or nine different emotional issues banked up inside of you, guess what's going to happen? At some point, you're going to emotionally vomit. It's going to be gross. And what could have been six or seven handleable problems become one really tough problem. Also, in that same category of recognizing and take responsibilities for your own thoughts and feelings, you could even see that if you look to uh, the Good Samaritan, a couple things you could do with that. Uh, one of them is, is the, the, wise, uh, the man who's asking Jesus the question uh, kind of wants to know the boundaries of how much responsibility he needs to take or not take in his life. But the other thing is when the Samaritan, the most unlikely source, walks by, he takes responsibility. When other, two other people have excuses for why they can honor God and not, take care of this child of God here. The Good Samaritan says, no, this is not my responsibility. I need to take care of this. You don't blame others for problems that happen. Third, under stress, if you're emotionally healthy, you can state beliefs and values without defensiveness. Which, if I want to point out how this happens, you need to know your beliefs well in order to be able to do this. Paul has actually modeled this right here in Philippians 3, starting verse 4, where he's already defending himself against people who would accuse him of not knowing what he's talking about and that sort of thing. We saw that in our, our model with Gina at the very beginning. This was a tough moment to be able to, to do this under stress and state what you believe about defensiveness. Another thing that, that marks emotionally mature adults is that you're accurately able to assess your limits, strengths, weaknesses, and freely able to discuss. Now, if we're followers of Jesus Christ, and we're wanting to gain Christ and not lose Christ, this one seems pretty pivotal. That we would be able to recognize where we're not like Christ and where we need to be more like Christ, and we're constantly assessing what that looks like. Where am I not communing with God? Where am I not looking like Jesus Christ in my human interactions with others? Where am I not holding on to Christ who has already taken hold of me? We have to ask those questions regularly and not be afraid to assess to be better followers of Jesus Christ. And then, of course, we have to do that corporately, too, right? As the people of God gathered together. And this is a growing edge for us, First Covenant, my brothers and sisters. This is a hard place for us that we need to be better at assessing and not afraid of assessing, because if our mission is to glorify God and bring others into the kingdom and make disciples, then if we're not assessing that, we're doing it wrong. We're not faithful to the mission. We can't be afraid of that, can we? Absolutely not. The last three we can skip through fairly quickly because we've covered at least the next next one quickly, deeply into it, those emotions. Yeah, that's emotionally mature. Empathetic. There's a sense of humility that goes with this. And it, it ties to some of what we already said. But if you're empathetic, you can step into somebody else's world and, and live with them in whatever emotional state they're in, but not lose yourself in the process. There's a lot of humility that's required to do that. That's emotionally mature. That's actually a discovery. Uh, just looking at kid emotions, that's actually a high level uh, emotion. It takes a lot of work. And then finally, the capacity to resolve conflict maturely and consider the perspective of others. That is, we're peacemakers. There's a lot to consider in the list. I think it's a valuable list. That's why I bring it to you. Otherwise, I wouldn't bring it to you. I think it's a challenging list. I think it's a Christ-like list. 
As we consider that, I want to leave you with one more scenario. This one is a, from a real story. Um, and this isn't a scenario, this is a, a step in a healthy direction scenario. So that we don't look at something like this and look at the, the emotional level of the child earlier and get lost and say, well, I'm not all of this, so I'm lost. No, to live as Christ without the gain, Paul talks about stepping and gaining each day. So it just takes a step in the right direction to do that and the challenge to do that. Let me give you this scenario. 20 years ago, I was working at Covenant Bible College um, in Colorado, and uh, I, was, I had the care, pastoral care of 22 young men for, for two years. For those of you that know the connection of our staff, by the way, uh, three of our four staff all went to Bible College together in Canada, at the Canadian campus. Uh, Pastor Jody worked up at the Canadian campus while I worked in the Colorado campus. We never had connection because there were two different countries and we did other things, but that's just a by the by interesting thing. So she did the same thing I did. In this case, only with girls, with guys. And uh, I was had the pastoral care of 22 young men, 18, 19 years old. At the beginning of the year, we did a dorm meeting. It was uh, enjoyable for me. I can't say the same for all of them. But you went over kind of the boundaries of, of community life together and roommates and all that kind of stuff. And we tried to do those regularly to kind of check in. But one thing I made a point of uh, at that first dorm meeting in particular was pointing out uh, some ways that some people sometimes in the community, we were only 44 students, intentionally small. You can't hide your bad habits in those scenarios. You can try, it doesn't work. And so we would, uh, I would point out to them, look, if you brought in some habits uh, that you need to get rid of, now's a great time because you've got a community to support you in this. And you can't hide it. So for instance, if you can't do smoking, this is a non-smoking campus, that's going to be hard to do here. You've got a community around you can support, let's cut that habit right now. Or uh, pornography. If you're hooked on that, which, you know, if you're working with young guys, there's always a high probability that somebody is. Um, if you're hooked on that, we have blood filters, you're not going to be able to access it anyways. So let's just get some accountability structures in place, and let's take care of this issue. And I challenge them at that first meeting, okay, so if that's an issue, find somebody that you can be accountable to, that you can walk with on this issue. Um, if you need something deeper, talk to people with your counseling, whatever we need to do, let's resolve that issue and get that out of your way. But a handful of guys did struggle with that, as happened over here. They talked to people, they got accountability <laughs> structures, great. About halfway through the year, though, the web filters went down for whatever reason. Our, our volunteer IT guy came in to check things regularly. Came in, web filters went down. He said, you know what, it's obvious that five students took advantage of that for the week that it was down, and I had five names, and so now staff and faculty were staying there with the conundrum. What do you do? We now have a list of five people um, who obviously have something to deal with. And so we decided to divide and conquer and go at the teams and approach those students so we could help them uh, no longer be hopeless. And as we confronted each of these students, it was quite obvious that they felt guilty. But you know what else they felt? Free. They'd been wearing that weight of doing something wrong. They'd been wearing the weight of something that was not making them more like Christ, but making them less like Christ in those experiences and in their addiction. And now they felt free when they could confess them. You see, what was holding them back from becoming like Jesus was being named. And they could forget what was behind now and strain for what was ahead. They had been immature 
in their brokenness. But now they have the opportunity to step towards maturity in this area. And that's how it's done. Step by step, little by little, to gain for Christ and lose the garbage. Our point today has been that I'm a, if I'm a follower of Jesus, I should be more like Jesus tomorrow than today. Anything less than that goal is not gain, it is loss. I gave you two challenges from the beginning. If you don't know Jesus Christ, I want to make that invitation momentarily for that life in Christ. And if you do know Jesus Christ and follow him, then as we pray, I want you to be confronted with any need for change. And ask yourself the question, what situations, what events, what attitudes do I face in the next week where I need to step up? Writing to show the fruit of emotional maturity as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Let's go to God in prayer. And as we start, I want to take some silence. Hand over whatever you need to lose for the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go to God. not yet a follower of Jesus, I invite you to speak directly to God. And you can use my words if you want or say something similar. But we're going to begin with, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, God, for living in a way that is against your will and calling it okay or even good. Forgive me, Father, for I have sinned and I'm ready for a new way. Lord God, give me life, real life, new life, through Jesus Christ. And if you've made a commitment to Jesus Christ this morning, I'd ask that you find me after the service so we can talk together or find Pastor Joe. As we close, let's close with these words of prayer. Lord, may this be our prayer today, that we have new life, real life, not just an okay life, that is really garbage with some of you. Give us the gain of Jesus Christ that we may enjoy the power of the resurrection to transform each of us into the perfect image of Jesus Christ.